Greetings in Jesus' name. It's been a blessing to be here already. I think most of us can say that. And for some of you brothers who got to watch that message about the, the message, what the topic's going to be, I was wondering if I was seeing a youth here today, but they were brave enough to come. So thank you. And um, the last three messages were on marriage. And we talked to the husbands, we talked to the wives, and now we're going to talk to the youth today, in case you didn't get the message. So, that would be according to scriptural order, is it not? As you go through Ephesians, you get to uh, marriage, you have wives, you have husbands, and then you have children. The Apostle Paul, he, in the first part of Ephesians, he goes through the, who we are in Christ and that whole thing. And, but then toward the, uh, in the last part of the book, he gets practical application of how that's lived out. So that's the practical application we'll be looking at this morning, some of that. Why don't we just pause for a word of prayer? Lord, we are grateful to you for everything you have done for us. The talent that you have given to us and the expectation that you have that the talent would increase, that we would use it and that it would uh, come back to you again, increased and multiplied and and, uh, enriching to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the service so far this morning. And uh, thank you, Lord, for the, yes, the many things that were shared. And just pray for this part of the service, that you would bless us and instruct us, that not just the youth can learn, but that we all, Lord, can learn your heart, your will and purpose for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, talking to youth, um, one of the things that Apostle Paul says, there are certain um, flee youthful lust and so on. And there's, there's a certain tendency for youth to have strong passions in a wrong way and so on. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. I'm not going to be talking about that side of youth I'm going to be talking about the reverse side of youth, of youth that have given their hearts to God, who love the Lord and want to do something for God. But there's still some tendencies of youth that go with youth, even youth like that. To give you a description in another way, um, we we know what pride looks like, well, in other people anyhow. <laughs> you know, you, you get real showy, you get a flashy car, you get uh, flashy clothing, you get uh, whatever you want. You can see pride, it just, just shows, it's extravagance. There was a time when I um, talked to a man years ago, 
about how I felt in the presence of what I viewed as real spiritual men, and I felt intimidated. And he very kindly explained to me that that is an inverse form of pride. Because you're afraid of what they think of you. To me, it was like I was just low and little, but it was actually pride. So what we're talking about this morning is an inverse form that youth generally face, godly youth that want to serve God. So, now the disclaimer is, I will be speaking in general terms. All youth vary a lot, and so this message will be true in various ways. And it's going to be about normal tendencies and perspectives that are common to youth. And I'm also going to be quite blunt. And the reason I'm going to be blunt is because I was a youth. And I would have needed someone to be really blunt with me. (laughs) So if you think you're being attacked by what I'm sharing this morning... Just take it, I'm preaching to myself some years ago, okay? (laughs) I would have needed it to be strong. And I have a target audience this morning. The center of my target audience is those youth that are between 15 and 25 years old. This is the age when young people know the most And their parents or the older people around them know the least. It's encapsulated in that saying that I saw hanging in my my wife's parents. If I have it correct, I think that's where I saw it. It said, why didn't all of life's problems come to me when I was a teenager and had had all the answers? That's what we're going to talk about this evening, uh, this today. And I can understand that situation very well because I was there. We have said that there's a significant difference in maturity between an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old. Between an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old, there's a significant advance in maturity, generally. Well, there's also a significant advance in maturity between a 25-year-old and a 30-year-old. Generally, by 30, life's experiences have already begun to change our perspective. By that time, we are saying, it's amazing how much dad has changed or how much dad has learned in the last five years. But spoiler alert, it wasn't dad who did most of the changing. So, I'm going to speak on the natural, normal tendency of youth that in their idealism to value their perspectives and their ideas and their visions while having a sense of unappreciativeness or even disdain for the older generation. And we can all learn from that, even those outside the target audience. So you can go to the text this morning, Ephesians chapter 6. We're done with Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 6. 
verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, in the giving of the law, there in Exodus, we read Exodus some this morning, but in Exodus 20, those uh, what we call the Ten Commandments were given. And the commandments say simply, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So the primary word there is honor. Honor your parents. And Paul in Ephesians here adds, Children, obey your parents. Because obeying your parents is a logical and practical outcome of honor. Get that? It's not part of the law, but it's a practical outcome, honor is. And then Paul also makes this observation. This is the first commandment which, if obeyed, has a promise attached to it. And of course, the original promise meant to the children of Israel. We heard this morning, uh, he said it was given to a particular people for a particular time. What it meant in that context, if, if the children will obey their godly parents and they will go into this land, they're going to stay in the land and not be deported by sin because of wrongdoing. And of course, we know they failed. But that was, a, that was the promise. And Paul still say that the first commandment was promise. But they failed. But the key word is honor. Honor is the extrapolation. Extrapolation of honor would be to obey. And the promise of honor, if you honor, is that it will go well with you. And that you may live long on the land. But honor is the primary command word given to children. So just nail it down to one word. It's honor. Honor means to value, to prize, to esteem, and to revere. The Greek word is timeo. And there is a well-known disciple of the Apostle Paul that had this word in his name. Anybody have any idea who that might be? A disciple of Apostle Paul that had this word honor in the Greek in his name. Take the way to A, Timeo, you get Timo. Now you know, Tim, Timotheus. Timo, Timo means dear or precious or valuable. And Theus means God. So Timotheus, which comes down to us as Timothy, means dear to God. So, so the point here this morning is to, the command rather is, prize, value, esteem, revere your father and your mother. Consider them dear so that they may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, young adults, as they look out at the world ahead of them, 
and they think of life, and they think of how life should be, how it should go, how the world should function. And and many times, as as youth do that, I did that. We look around us and we see a lot of things lacking. So we have an idea of what it should be like, and then we have the reality around us of what is lacking. So that's the viewpoint. They see problems. It shouldn't be so. It should be like this. It should not be like this in the, in the home or in the church. Uh, this is wrong. This is how it should be. Why don't the older ones care? Why don't the older ones do something about it? Don't they see what's wrong? Why don't they? And then there can come, I'm talking about tendencies of youth, there can come a dissatisfaction and even a disdain and in extreme cases disgust for the older people in their lives. Now, the question and the wondering and the observing is not wrong. In fact, that is right. You, you need to do that. Every one of you need to be thinking these things through. That is, well, that, that's what makes us human. God made us that way. It's part of growing up. It's part of the process in which you develop and you will eventually own the situation for yourself. So I encourage that. You take ownership of your own life and the issues surrounding it when you get more mature. It's when it festers into disdain or contempt for the older ones that it becomes a problem. And when it becomes that, it's called dishonor. And that is wrong. Dishonor is the opposite of the command of God. Young people have exuberance and idealism. Young men shall dream dreams, the Bible says. The glory of the young man is their strength, say the Proverbs. When we were at the Faith Mission Home last Sunday, uh, we went to their church service, and uh, they divided for Sunday school. Later on, the moderator remarked, about he said something like this he said we don't espouse children running in church but he just mentioned how it was it was a blessing that the children are so eager to go to their classes that they you know sort of almost jostle and sprint that kind of thing and he said it's inspiring that the children are so eager for their classes that they can barely keep from running and what he basically meant is we will allow that eagerness to be expressed. Obviously, if the classes would be dismissed and there would be a stampede, I'm sure we would, you know, bring some order. Yet, um, he did not want to dampen that enthusiasm. That eagerness is normal for children. When the older classes got dismissed, I didn't see any of the older men jostle each other and kind of, you know, and try to 
sprint on their way to the classes. I didn't see that. It's the tendency of youth to do that. <clears throat> now, it didn't mean that the older ones did not enjoy their classes. It did not mean they were not anticipating it. It doesn't mean that. But what would we think if the children would look at the older folk and they would think they're not running to their classes? They must not be anticipating it. They must be dreading it. It must be a drudgery to them. And a sense of superiority develops or envelopes them. And a certain kind of disdain arises in their heart towards the older ones because of that observation. That's the topic this morning. <laughs> so I'm not speaking to rebels. I'm speaking to those of us, youth, who want to go all out for God. So I'm going to take one verse out of the Old Testament completely out of context. <laughs> but um, we, will, we, will, we will grow on that uh, to the main text, of course, is honor, and then we will go. So you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 20. And verse 11, I'm going to read it, then I'll give a little bit of the context. And the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, let not him that girdeth on his harness boast himself as he that putteth it off. King of Israel was Ahab, that wicked king. We could talk like uh, about him sometime, but uh, I'll just let all the rest of that go. And he is talking about the Syrian army commander, Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad came up against Israel and just made some demands. And the first demand that he made, um, Ahab said, okay, we'll let you do that. And then he came with a second demand and King Ahab's counseled with his and they said, don't, don't let him do it. So the answer came back and he said, no, we will not accept that. And the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, he got, yeah, he got, this riled him. Someone said no to him. So he said this. I didn't look at the verse. Yeah, verse 10. And Behad sent unto him and said, The gods do so unto me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for a handful for all the people that follow me. Basically, by the time we're done with your city, there's not even going to be enough of handfuls of dust for all my soldiers. And that is when the king Ahab replied, Let not him that girdeth on his harness Boast himself as he that putteth it off. Translated, a warrior putting on his sword for battle should not boast like a warrior who has already won. 
So and anyhow, the story goes on that they had their battle and Ben-Hadad lost. And here's the title of the message. Boast not while putting on your armor. Boast not while putting on your armor. It is easy before the long battle of life to, for, as a youth, to imagine where, what we are going to do. We are alert. We are young. We are healthy. We have ideals. And we're going to change the world. Praise God. You will have an impact on the world, and you should. But it won't go the way you are envisioning right now. It won't work out that way. We were young married, my wife and I. And I came home from work. And Vanita had a little supper ready just for the two of us. And we sat down at a little table and we ate. And you young married couples know what this is like. I guess all married couples do at one point. And we ate together. And afterwards, we cleared the dishes and we washed the dishes together. And we talked. And I said, you know, I don't, my, I don't think my dad and my mom did never wash dishes together. Your, no, no, mine didn't either. Wow, this is so great. I mean, why didn't they do that? This is just such a blessing to do this. Why, why didn't they wash dishes together? And, and sort of a sense of superiority about our marriage over our parents' marriage grew. And a little bit of disdain for our parents and their marriage grew. Who knows what I'm talking about? Well, you'll have to, okay, put you on the spot. Maybe nobody's except me. Thirty years later, I do not remember when I washed dishes last with my wife. Maybe when we were away overnight somewhere alone. In fact, I don't know if my wife washes dishes anymore. And, um, I think our children do. I didn't ask my married children whether they... They had done this early in their marriage or not. But that was before Vanita and I were born again. Then we became Christians and everything changed then. No, it did not. In fact, it got worse. Now we saw even more of our parents' failures. And interestingly, and this is the this is the key. Interestingly, as our seemingly as our commitment and our dedication to Christ grew, so did our um, disdain for our parents increase. How can that be? And yet, that was our experience. It was more on me than Vanita. But without the work of God in my life, without a zeal to follow him, I wouldn't be here today. So I had no regrets for the ambition, for the dedication, for the desire to serve God with all my heart. I have no regrets. But I have some other regrets. That 
you know, I want to make a difference in the world for the glory of God. I wanted my talents to increase. I want to know him. I want to make him known. I wanted to study the word. I wanted to teach the word. But I could not have imagined the pathway God would have taken us, me, and the breaking he needed to do to achieve his goals. And this is a common path for zealous young youth, young people. As young, you have a blessed, a blessed inexperience of failures and limitations. There is a sense of undeveloped potential within you. There's a natural buoyancy and a enthusiasm and positiveness in your younger days, in your early days. And it tend to make you live more by impulse than by reflection. And I should be the last man in the world to want to dampen that enthusiasm. That honorable, beautiful enthusiasm, which is it's naturally prevalent in youth. It's provided by God. The world will dampen that enthusiasm soon enough. And there is no sadder sight, it seems, than an old man who has outlived his his um, youthful dreams and now, years later, just looks sarcastically or cynically at his youthful dreams. He has outlived them and he has come around and he's become cynical. That's a sad, sad picture. Young men, young people tend to be idealistic. They see some kind of utopia. They see a vision. They recognize something and they they chase it. They, they reorganize their lives to pursue what they see. And then the leaders of them try to reorganize the world around them to achieve that as well. The world, I mean the people around them. Because life has so much more meaning when you're living for something that's bigger than just yourself. When you're looking for a bigger purpose, life has meaning. When you have goals that are just bigger than your own little kingdom. And others join those visionaries for the same reason. We are on to something revolutionary. We're going to do a great thing for God. And I say, amen. I say, go for it. But standing at the beginning of your life, do not imagine there's going to be an opening before you of a scene of enjoyment or that the dreams that you have are going to be easy to achieve. That you will come with ease successfully out at the other end. It's not going to be easy and you will find that out soon enough but it would be good for you to understand that. Have you realized how different it is to dream things than it is to do them? In our dreams, we are, as it were, working in a vacuum. When it comes out to the real world, when it comes to act, to real acts of life, we face resistance. 
It's easy to imagine ourselves in circumstances where things are going rightly and where things are bending according to our own desire. But we come out into this grim world and there are things that resist us. And we find out, and this is important, we find out that people are not plastic. (laughs) People are not plastic in real life versus in our dreams. It's a very different matter. You will, you do not yet understand, as you will someday, that the limitations that all hem us all around and the obstinate way of circumstances that have a way of not going along with our wishes. And you have not learned that failure accompanies success almost like a shadow. Have you ever realized how certainly even the brightest and the most energetic and the most successful lives, there have come crushing sorrows, there have come blows in the dark where you don't know where they came from. And there are miseries and there are tragedies and there are sorrows and there are losses and there are broken and bleeding hearts of older people that began life just like you did with as impossible as it seems to you. They have begun life as enthusiastically, as visionary, as hopeful and perhaps even boasting. You know, there ought to be a little bit of soberness. Come over your heart as you're at the beginning of life and you look at your dreams. A little bit of a sobering tint should be brought there. There's this half-expressed thought from youth, how much better I could do it. And they, they, they think that as they look at the older fumblers in the field. See, it's a, it's a crude form of undeveloped power, but it lacks a great deal of reality, that thought. And what I'm trying to do right now, right now what I'm trying to do is let a little bit of steam and a little bit of reality and bring a little more clear perception of the limited success that you are likely to have in your dreams. All we older people whose deficiencies and limitations you see so well had the same dreams, impossible as it may seem to you. We were going to be men, and wisdom was going to die with us. And you see what we made out of it. You will not do much better. Have you ever taken the honest stock of your own resources? What king goes to war against another king and does not first evaluate, sit it not down first, and count it the cost, whether with his 10,000 he can meet him that cometh him with 20,000? 
boast if you like, but calculate first and then boast after that if you can. Your worst enemy is yourself. When you are counting your resources and you're saying, well, I have this and I have that and I have the other thing. Don't forget to say, I have a part of me that takes all the rest of me to keep all the time just to keep it from becoming my master. Don't forget that. There's a part of me that takes the rest of me to keep it in check, to keep it from becoming my master. You see, we have traitors within our own fortress that at the very heat of battle, they can openly go over to the enemy. During that battle, when you are overwhelmed and you can't much do about it, you have things inside of you that can go over to the enemy. And you have to take that into account as well. And as you're putting your armor on to fight at the beginning of your life, you're putting your armor on and you're going to serve God. You need to consider that. And then boast if you can. There is a popular intellectual of our day who confronts say that a popular intellectual who confronts the noisy liberal activist of our day. Okay, this is this is non Christian, but is it he's he confronts them. Those noisy activists who want to overturn the Western civilization that it is and reform it into their utopia. And so they're activists, they're out to change the world, but they're young, they're college students, that kind of thing. He tells them, what do you know about running the world? You have no experience. You have no discipline. You have never run a business. You're just right out of home. What do you know about what should happen in the world? And then he tells them, start first with your own life. Go home and clean your room. Once your room, your bedroom is conquered and in order, then work with the relationships around you in your home. Get your own life in order. Once you have demonstrated that you have the ability to actually have a functioning relationship with your family and with your spouse or whatever other things you have around you, maybe your boss, when in college they don't have it, once you have demonstrated that you can actually function around you, then maybe you are ready to go out beyond there and come out and change the world. By now, some of you might be saying, wow, you have some very gloomy views. Are you sure you're not that old man that has outlived his youthful dreams and become pretty cynical? Maybe you thought that. Maybe that's who I am. You have been telling us that success is impossible, that we're bound to fight and we're sure to fail. What are we to do? Just throw in the towel and say, well, well, I might as well give up before I start. I didn't say that. But I've been speaking this way to generate some distrust in your heart. 
to bring some reality into your visions, to strip you of a superior error and a boasting heart, and to increase the appreciation of older people. Increase your appreciation of older people in your life. They have gone before you. They know some things that you don't. Back to the original text. Honor your father and mother and those who are older, those in positions of authority. That is God's directive for youth and younger ones. The reality is, and here we're going to bring some other side, we older ones, we need your youthful freshness. We, we need your vision and we need your exuberance. And you younger ones, you need our wisdom and our caution. That wisdom and caution in the older ones has been developed by many a failure and many an experience. We do need each other. We really do. Where there is a disconnect, it's expressed well in this quote by Sir Chesterton. And I'll read a quote here. He said, I believe what really happens in history is this. The old man is always wrong. And the young man is always wrong about what is wrong with him. The practical form that it takes is this, that while the old man may stand by some stupid custom, the young man always attacks it with some theory that turns out to be equally stupid. I believe that is really what happens in history. It happens not in history, it happens in time, it happens now, it's happening now. You see, you sense the disrespect of the young man as he goes about to change the thing into the way he thinks it should be. But as has happened multiple times before, it does not work out the way it's supposed to work out in real life. It doesn't work out the way he had envisioned it to. And then he stands beside his stupid custom and his young people see the same thing. That's the tendency that we have. So there are many things that look good on paper that do not work out as well in real life. Okay, now we're going to get practical in a few practical areas. I, I don't know where to go with this, but I have to get some, got to get some meat on this. So there are things that look good on paper, but they don't work out in real life. They sound good. It should work. To a young idealist, it's a worthy goal. But if you don't listen to older people in your life, you will attempt things that have been attempted over and over and over with similar results of failure. So, tendencies of youth. For the rest of the message, I want to bring just a few examples of how this works out in real life. And this this is only arbitrary, uh, what I'm picking out here. It's... But it's, it's talking about idealism 
that looks good on paper but doesn't work out in real life like it should. Okay, that's the point. Okay, first one. And I don't know if there's anybody here that has this or not, but it's a tendency, and I've heard it. All And, and maybe I probably had a good, a good dose of it. All we need is the Holy Spirit and a real authentic walk with him. That will take care of all the issues of life. Now I ask the question, do we need the Holy Spirit and a real authentic walk with him? Do we? Yes. Will that take care then of all the issues of life? And the answer is no. They say, how can that be? It looks well. It looks right. I mean, if you got the Holy Spirit and he guides you into all truth, it has to work. Well, just look at the scripture. And you could look at many places. I go look at, well, just, just take a, okay, I, I know you can go look at the scripture. We're going to Acts chapter 6. And we had a problem. The Grecian widows were being neglected. Okay. So we had a problem. So the, the apostle said, okay, what we really need is the Holy Spirit and an authentic walk with him. And that will take care of the issue. No, did not. What did they do? They, they created some structure to make sure that things are hap- that things happen the way it's supposed to happen. They didn't do it without the Holy Spirit. They didn't do it without an authentic walk with him. And yet they created structure. Young people tend to devalue structure. It's unspiritual. Just get the sense it's unspiritual. It gets in the way of serving God. We want fire, not structure. Structure is dead traditionalism. It has little or no value. Try to heat your house with fire without a structure. Without a stove or a furnace or a fireplace, If you bring fire into your home to heat it without a structure, you will have heat. Yes, you will. And the result will be spectacular. Yes, it will. In fact, it will have more heat than that person who has structure. Believe me. But it's not sustainable. (laughs) No, it's not. Your children and your grandchildren will not have a warm house to come into. Why do we tell our children not to play with matches? They don't understand the drastic consequences of fire outside of structure. Why do young people tend not to appreciate structure? Same thing as children with matches. Same thing. They, us older ones have seen a lot of tragedies. Many of them, it has caused us to be more cautious. Not only do we contain fire in a stove, we clean the chimneys and we caulk the flue. We are careful with this thing. We are cautious, rightfully so. But we must not forget to keep that fire burning in that stove. That's the reason we have fire. It's to heat the house. It's essential. And 
We need young people to bring the wood, to cut the wood up and split it, bring it into the house. Us older people, we don't do that as well anymore. We need younger people to help bring fire into this house. Us older ones are beginning to retire. So the youth are needed. Their energies help keep the house warm. But us older ones, we will stop them when we see them sticking a piece of wood into the fire. And once that thing is hot, they go running around the house with it. We put a stop to it. And we would be foolish if we wouldn't. We'd be neglecting our duty if we wouldn't do that. So, truly, there are many types of structures that contain fire. There are many ways to warm a house. Some are better than others. So we must not get hung up too much in exactly which way it gets heated and all that. But we need the Holy Spirit and a real authentic walk with him. But finally, there must be a structure in which the Holy Spirit operates. Another thing that young people tend to minimize is boundaries in associations. Boundaries in associations, uh, interacting with other people. We are Christians. They are Christians. Why do we need to caution against regular and close interaction with them? We are, we are who we are. And we practice what we practice, I trust, I hope, because of the values that we have obtained from the word of God. And we have seen these values, and we have been persuaded of them. We have confessed these values, and we have embraced them. The scripture values that we practice and believe in here at this congregation. Then there are other churches and there are other organiz- and organizations who love God and desire to serve God. But some of their values are not the same. Some of them are just simply different values that are just simply maintaining it. And then there's others, organizations or groups, churches that it's... Um, their values are expressing themselves in the changing practices, and you can see their values are somewhere else. So some of them, some of those other groups are just instead of here, they're here, and then there's others that are here. That is not a little side issue. That is not. The stories can be multiplied in the millions of a child or a youth in school. Maybe a struggling, all, all, all young people, all children and young people are vulnerable. Some more, some less, but they're all vulnerable. And you think of a vulnerable child in school, which pretty well has a trajectory to end up in some kind of uh, undesirable life. And you have a teacher who takes an interest in that child or some other adult and changes the trajectory of that child completely. That's the influence that others have. 
but it can also be true the other way. Young people, children are vulnerable and how uh, getting into wrong company can influence a youth down a path away from God, away from the word of God, away from the principles of God. That is also true, just as true. And so the scripture says to us, when God says, be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And he says, and know ye not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little bit of wrongness, a little bit of incorrectness, a little bit of sin grows it's interesting that Apostle Paul prefaces both of these, the power of negative influence with the one he says, be not deceived, because we are easily deceived in that area. And then he says, know ye not? I mean, you should know it, but I'm wondering whether you do. That's just interesting. Those two negative influences that come and, and the extra emphasis of deception in that area. So when it comes to associations with others and practices that we would allow the world to influence us, us older ones tend to be more cautious than younger ones. That's the point this morning. We have seen that those our age who were not as cautious as we were in years gone by have gone a very different way from the values we have seen in the word and have been persuaded of, and have confessed, and have embraced. So we have seen that. That is not a theory. That is a reality. In fact, if we would not have been as cautious, or maybe we would not have listened to older people in our life who were as cautious, that's where we would be at today. I could go down a family discussion, but I don't think I will. Just very briefly, my grandmother, her dad was old, older Amish. I don't know. I'm in the Fisher book. (laughs) Uh, The only loop that I have between the Mennonite family is my my grandfather married an Amish girl, a beachy Amish at that time. But the interesting thing was, as, as they left... As her dad left the Amish church and went to the beachy, almost all the children became enculturated. Uh, one of my my grandmother's uh, brothers was in the army during World War Two, so um, that's so it, that's how it happened. But my grandmother, because she married a Mennonite man, remained conservative. And I'm actually here because of that, in the sense that I was in a conservative church. If I would have been not that link and I would have followed my grandmother, I would be enculturated somewhere. So the point I want to make is, is that the decisions that we make have long, I mean, it's not that God couldn't reach me out there, and he could have, and there's God works in all kinds of ways. But the decisions we make now have permanent effects. Already descendants. That's what I wanted to say. 
it will change. What the decisions you make will change the trajectory of your descendants' uh, lives, lives. And so God says, be aware. Bad company corrupts good character. So whether it be another church or another organization or a phenomenon such as social media, <laughs> we need to evaluate together whether the interaction or participation will have a negative or a positive effect on us and our children. And like I said, older ones tend to be more cautious than younger ones. And so we need to hear each other in these things. And then I just have one. I'm not going to talk much about it, but it's at the sort of missions. I'm not going to dissect this one like I did the others. Just going to give a few quotes. <clears throat> a few quotes here. Missions has helped many get out of an ethnic cultural rut. Missions has helped many get out of an ethnic cultural rut. Okay, that's a good thing, right? It has also gotten many to drop biblical commands and practices altogether. That double-edged sword of missions. Positive, command of God, do it. It's his will that we spread, but you do it also with the proper perspective. Here's another quote about that. Some don't give thought to what will fill the void should they cast off traditional church culture. They don't give a thought of what will fill that void. If you cast that off, what will fill that void? Some other cultural influence will. None of us are as self-defining as we think, and fools then will rush in where angels fear to tread. So that's all I'm going to talk about that, just talking about um, missions that we as older and younger also need to work together. Be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know who said that? That was the Lord Jesus. When did he say that? He said it near the end of his life when he was ready to take off his harness. Be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. Therefore, there is a triumph that is possible for every one of us, youth, whole way to adult, that is not a boasting of a triumph. It's a possible a triumph which is not boasting for him that puts off the armor. That war worn soldier at the end of his life when he takes the armor off can say, I have not been beaten. I have been victorious. But he's not boasting. Not boasting. The best of us, when we come to the end of our lives, we will recognize in retrospect many failures, many deficiencies, many yielding to temptations, many sins of all sorts. And that will put all boasting away from our thoughts. Distrust yourselves, young people. Don't underestimate your enemies. Understand that life is a warfare. 
and utterly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will see that you are not conquered. He will give you the calm confidence that you have a place in glory. And he promises that to them who overcome. Don't trust, put, don't put your trust in your parents or those older than you. Don't put your trust in them. I did not say you should trust them. God never said you should trust your parents. You should trust the Lord. We are not God. We are not always right. We will fail you. It is right for you to appeal to us. It is right for you to ask, what about this and what about that? But you should do that in honor and respect, and you should value the older ones. You should not have a superior or disdain or distrust or uh, distrust for them. And then disregard their direction and admonition in your life. Because that is dishonor and that is disobedience. <clears throat> you will not. You will not escape the righteous discipline of God if you do that. You will not escape it. God is just. And he says, what came in the, someone had it this morning in my WhatsApp. As of Rebecca Overhauser about sowing. You will reap what you sow. If you sow disrespect and dishonor, you will reap it. You can put your money in the bank on that one. And in his mercy, if you do that, you may avoid shipwreck of your life and the lives of your children. <clears throat> one more example. <clears throat> Excuse me. Daniel Keniston Many, many years ago, before he was married, he was, he was in that stage of life. He was in this stage of life. His dad was concerned about him. Daniel, he always would come under, but it was a struggle. Why, why dad? Uh, why do we, why? And had all these questions, and he would always come around. But his dad was significantly concerned, rightfully so, because his son was doing what he said, but he was chafing under it. He thought his ideas, he thought dad was wrong. Then when Daniel was over in Africa, he got some water that was contaminated and he got hepatitis something, C or I don't know, whatever. It was something, something you don't want, let believe me. And he got sick. He was spent weeks in that tent, throwing up and sick and miserable. By the time he came home, he looked like he came out of a concentration camp several months later. But God did something in his life during those months, those weeks, several months of um, torture. When he came home, he was totally different. And his dad sent it right away. And his dad said, 
I no longer need to give my input. I need to no longer watch over this boy. But the interesting thing happened. That young man came to dad and said, Dad, I need your input. Dad, I need you. Dad, what do you think about this? Dad, and what happened in that young man in a few months usually takes us 20 years to get. <laughs> hopefully, there's a message this morning. If you're in this situation, hopefully I jumped that, I made lowered that a few years. <laughs> so, <clears throat> one more verse. The Lord Jesus, after God already had called him, <clears throat> and they found him in the temple in Luke chapter 2, verses 51 to 52. And he went down with them, his parents, Jesus did, and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I wish that for all of us young people here today, not us, you, <laughs> that you would, in the proper way, increase in wisdom, stature, you're pretty well done with that, and favor with God and man. So may the Lord bless you, youth. May you, may we older ones really learn to appreciate youth more than we do, and may you learn to appreciate us more than you do. Why don't we just kneel for a word of prayer if you can. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you Lord for the way you have in your word established and given us direction. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves and therefore you have given us those directives. I pray for all the youth here, all the young people in this and those who hear this message later maybe, that I pray that you would truly bless them with a vision to serve you, to commit their lives to you, dedicated to you, and dream dreams for you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would increase that, that it may grow, and that uh, the world uh, they, they will impact the world, Lord, for you, and that you, are, you will be glorified. And then I also pray you protect them from the many tendencies that youth have. And one of them, Lord, I pray that you protect them from not listening to older ones in their lives, not appreciating them, not honoring them. Lord, I pray also for us, all of us here, Lord, that we would recognize the... Um, the, the great and the immense value that youth have in our lives and that we would also seek them out and hear their hearts and encourage them and help them with their peculiar struggles that they have as youth. Lord, give us all a vision to minister to each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.